It's Joe Pyle from the Ladies Working Dog Group. Are you feeling stuck with your gun dog training? Trust me, you're not alone and that's exactly why you need to be here. Every week we're bringing you the best tips and hacks to make training your gun dog easy peasy. We'll keep it straightforward, no fuss, just actionable guidance that you can put straight to use. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Found It Fetched It. This week I am joined by the amazing LWDG group experts Claire Denya and Samantha Thornycroft-Taylor and we are going to be talking all about do I have a bad dog or am I a bad trainer? So this question taps into the heart of gun dog training and it's really important I think to distinguish between whether it's your dog or whether it's you. So this is going to be building on top of hopefully an episode you've already listened to. We did a few weeks ago about innate behaviours. Um, and we're just going to really look at how we can move this forward regardless of what our dog breed is. So how are you today, ladies? Very well, thank you, Jo. How are you? I'm very um, interested to take this conversation on because we covered quite a lot in the last podcast, right? Thought at the end, we were sort of felt that there was so much more we could do with this podcast. So this is this follow on. So are you ready for this, Sam? I am, Joe. I'm really looking forward to delving deeper into what we started talking about the other day. Fabulous. So we're going to be talking about quite a lot of different breeds because we do predominantly help people train gun dogs, but just gun dog breeds and gun dog crosses and other breeds who want to learn to be gun dog trained and maybe never to go out on an estate, maybe to go out on a estate, maybe somebody who just wants their Cabapoo to be obedient and bring back the ball. You know, we help everybody. But when we work with such a huge range of breeds and mixed breeds, we end up with a very mixed bag of behaviours, don't we? Yeah, we do. We, we, we see so many different behaviours, some of which the dogs have learnt and some of which are innate, which goes back to that previous podcast. But every breed has so many things going on with it. Um, that are naturally built in as well as the things they learn through their lives living with us exactly that I think it's um you've got to sort of work out if you like a dog has behaviors that we like and a behavior that we don't and behaviors that we don't like and it's using our ability as trainers to harness their natural abilities to teach them other things as well but also acknowledging that occasionally some of the behaviors that crop up that we don't like that are undesirable are just the dog using its natural instincts so one of the things that we want to talk about today is the role of the trainer so just for clarity as we go through the podcast the reality of it is we are all trainers so if you have a dog and you spend any time teaching them anything that makes you a trainer it doesn't make you a professional trainer it makes you a trainer of your own dog so throughout this conversation and probably throughout everything we do in the LWDG if we're talking about professional trainers we indicate that but otherwise if we're referencing the trainer that is you you are your dog's trainers so let's start about where trainers get this wrong to begin with what do you think it is that makes people not not know their breed but just not be aware of their breed as we touched on in the innate behavior podcast we touched on the fact that a lot of people buy a breed based on size or looks 
and don't necessarily understand what it is they've got. But even within those breeds, you've got certain lines that are hotter. And we did discuss that in quite a lot of depth in the other podcast. When I often go to see a dog for behavioural problems, very often the dog hasn't got behavioural problems. It's just that the dog is exposing or displaying behaviours that maybe don't fit with that owner in that household or in their lifestyle. So the dog gets deemed a bad dog. And I look at this dog and think, oh, crikey, like if I took that dog, I would use all of that drive, all of that determination, all of that passion to do the thing, to have an incredibly amazing gun dog. But for the person that perhaps owns that dog and has that dog living with them, perhaps it's not suited to their lifestyle where they're living, um, the exercise it's given. And so they deem it a bad dog because it's displaying things that don't fit with them. But actually, with the right training and the right outlet, that dog is actually an amazing dog. There's nothing wrong with the dog. I see very, very few dogs which I would deem bad dogs. And they're usually dogs that are genetically not wired right. Something going on with them that, that's beyond what their breed is. If you're deeming a dog a bad dog just because it's displaying its innate behaviours, I think that's really unfair. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're looking within the, the gun dog breed, so we spoke the other day on a podcast, we spoke um, in depth about largely spaniels and labradors. But I think, you know, a, a common one that I see, I don't know about you, Claire, is pointers um you know hprs that are in pet homes their natural behavior is to work at a great great distance and it could be that you know we're called in to help with a recall or to keep the dog closer and the dog is often perceived as a bad dog that's not listening to its to its owner to its trainer because it wants to be three fields away where actually it's doing what comes naturally and so if you did the early training differently, you could potentially have stopped that from escalating into a problem. But you've got to then sort of take it on the chin, if you like. If you've if you've found yourself in that problem, you've got to admit that it was probably partly your doing that got you there. Maybe your misunderstanding, your misconception um, or not getting the foundations in early enough and then learn from it and work with it to get a better result for all of you. As always, we're not blaming owners here because we are. I always say you don't know what you don't know like you know if you're on your first cock spaniel and you're really really shocked at the behavior it's totally understandable why that might have happened if you're on your fourth cock spaniel and you're still confused why the behavior is there then maybe there's a learning curve that you need to go through as an owner isn't it i think it's, it's us not expecting dogs to mold to us rather than us accept them part of what makes them who and what they are 100 percent, definitely and i think sam just touched on a breed that i see a lot in which is the hpr breeds they will often watch a labrador or a spaniel work and they will expect their dog to look the same with what it's doing and i'm like so they feel like their dog is maybe out of control because of the range and the distance that the dog is doing so they they think oh no my dog's going too far it's crossed literally the whole field and turn and I'm like no that is what your dog was bred and designed to do so they're on the edge of their seat feeling like the dog's not responding the dog is not recalling 
Obviously, there is a problem in the training if the dog is not responding when it's recalled. But if it's just that they set the dog off and they're expecting it to hunt in the same sort of style and pattern as a spaniel, they're going to be really disappointed or shocked when that dog starts ranging the length of the field away or further and is using its nose. But you eat, but you do. And Joe, what you just said about if people get their first dog and they haven't done that research, you would hope that then going forward, they would learn from that and either think, right, so now I know what I'm dealing with. I'm going to train the dog in the best way for it. Or maybe look at a different breed of dog. You know, you have to be realistic. You cannot make, well, we did a podcast on this as well. You cannot make a square peg fit in a round hole and vice versa, depending on which way you say it. But you can't do that. You can mould behaviour, you can develop behaviour, you can train alternative behaviours, you can do all of these things, but you cannot change the genetic makeup of that breed of dog. There's something though there, like you touched upon, and I'm sure Charlotte, my daughter, won't mind me saying, maybe she will, maybe she'll listen and give me a round dogs all her life and she's just got a schnauzer pup um, and she's bred and um, she's read like literally everything she's been to discover dogs i don't know how many times when she was younger made me crawl up and down looking at every single breed on the planet um but even she is like she wants me sometimes it's like it's like she's got a newborn baby she's like why are they doing this and i'm like because that's what it does but then when she like i suppose we we all do it he looks at uh buddy a spaniel and he's like calm and he's pretty chilled out and then she looks at her cabbage who's calm and pretty chilled out and then she's got this what can only be described as a bundle of furious anger <laughs> in the nicest possible way she's just angry and and it's just a bit of a shock to the system isn't she so like even when we've read everything and, and we've done the research and we've done the work and we've you know done everything we are still surprised a little bit with with what that actually looks like in the flesh absolutely i think it can be a, a massive shock to the system you can believe that you know exactly what to expect but at the end of the day our dogs are puppies they are a unique individual but they're also um you know full of their own love their own life their own wants um and they're all different you can't write down that at this this age your dog is going to be doing exactly this and you need to do exactly that you've got to learn to adapt to it and I think even if you end up sort of you know having a few dogs throughout your lifetime going back to having a puppy is always a bit of a shock it's no different to having a second or a third child you know when my second child came along I sort of looked at it and went um how do I change a nappy it was five years since I did this And it just takes you a little while to get back into the swing of things. And I think having a puppy is exactly the same. You've got so used to the fact that your older dog now sleeps overnight. It knows where its bed is. You don't have to teach it to sit before food and all of that sort of stuff. So then you get this thing that has no knowledge of everything we expect it to do every day. And we've almost forgotten the steps and the stages and the reinforcing and the repetitions that we went through the first time around. When I say furious, just in case she is, listening i don't mean he's he she's a nasty puppy because she's not at all she's just i don't know it's just a, a confidence that maybe you don't see another dog um, when we're talking about different breeds like the snowser what about other breeds have you got examples of breeds where like they just they just really misunderstood well i, I was literally just going to say there the schnauzer because i've worked with a few schnauzers they're really loyal loving dogs but they are like a guardian type dog they have that really strong guarding instinct and they're really intelligent as well so 
I'm not surprised that Charlotte's on her toes with this one because, you know, they are quite strong-willed ones, quite strong-willed dogs. And the ones that I've worked with, they have needed really really structured and really consistent training. Otherwise, they can be a little bit cheeky, let's say. (laughs) I think for me, one of the most common dogs that I'm asked about that I think is misunderstood is probably a collie um you know I think collies are they're really driven working livestock dogs you know a lot of the time and in order to do their job role effectively and efficiently they have to be a bit tenacious and they have to essentially chase in order to you know herd and round up potentially they might be need to be just a little bit more punchy not physically we're not going to ask them to stand on their hind legs and you know throw punches at sheep but they've just sometimes they've sort of got to get in and get those first few animals moving in order for the rest of the flock to follow so they've got to be quite powerful and quite in there and in the action if you take a collie out of its working role even if you give it something like agility to sort of keep it moving keep it going keep it physically active and mentally stimulating it's still likely going to have those herding and potentially nipping instincts so a lot of the collies that I've been contacted about it's because you know they've nipped at tires they've potentially started nipping at people's heels or they've started chasing cars um, and they are in that instance being termed a bad dog with behavioral problems but actually when we go back to what Claire said earlier they're not bad dogs they are just displaying their natural behaviors in what to them is an unnatural environment The majority of collies that I've worked with over the years, and John the same, the most common issues that we've seen is issues with chasing the cats if there's cats in the house uh, car chasing really really common one that we've seen and also herding of the children in the family so I've worked with a few dogs where we've had to put really strong rules and boundaries in for those dogs and give them an outlet for their innate behaviors for the things that they were bred to do but we've also had to you know put rules and boundaries in place with those dogs to tell them that this is not an acceptable way to display this behavior (laughs) this can't happen you can't be herding the children and you can't be nipping at the children's feet and legs and you can't be chasing the cats or the cars because it's very very dangerous and it can be done but the thing is I think what people forget is a lot of the time when I've been to see these dogs they may have already worked with other trainers with these dogs and they've been given some management strategies and distraction strategies to try and alleviate the problem to to stop this being such an issue but at no point has the dog been told that is off the table you cannot chase that you can't do that but when we do that we also have to fill that void with something else we can't just tell the dog you can't do that and then tell it without telling it what it can do instead so that's a really important part of the process and there have been occasions and one was with a collie where I couldn't work with the lady because she didn't want to tell that dog no in the way the dog would understand and I'm not talking about being cruel or beating the dog or hitting the dog or anything like that but she didn't want to tell the dog no now I know for a fact that dog went on to continue to terrorize her children and to terrorize her cats I even saw video footage of that happening and I know I could have stopped that being a problem and I feel it's very unfair on the dog to allow that kind of thing to happen and to continue to try and distract and manage that instead of just giving the dog some clarity in its life they need some clarity that's not you know something you're allowed to do you can't do that you can't jump on the cat pounce on the cat and attack it you can't chase the kids and nip their angles but this is what you can do and I will give you an outlet for that 
So I think it's very unfair on the dog breed to not give them clarity. If you're going to have those sort of breeds in your home, you have to be very clear with that dog in that how they can how they can display those behaviours correctly, what it is you're going to give them to do to do that. But equally, make it fair on the dog. Tell the dog the things that are off the table. Make that really clear for the dog. We talk about this all the time, and I'm sure people can keep listening to us because they agree with the conversations we're having. But like, I, me and my brother, there's not a lot of age between us. And I know for a fact, when we were at each other, terrorising each other, my mother certainly was not throwing Quality Street on the floor to try and make us stop. It was a flat out, stop your behaviour, wrap it up. That was, was the worst. In fact, if my dad would wrap it up, it was just one of his favourite sayings. Um, but it was like, no, enough. And I think you're quite right. We have to be really calm about the fact that telling a dog, whatever breed, even if it's using its innate behaviours, we do still have to give it boundaries of, okay, that's not acceptable here, don't we? We're not saying in this in this podcast episode, okay, well, they're innate behaviours, so just accept them and let them do what they want. We're saying, this is what you've got, this is why it's doing it, this is how you can approach and correct. I will use that word, I know if you're listening in America, it means a, a, a much stronger thing, but, but correct constructively the dog so that it knows what it can do, where those boundaries are, and what it can't do. Absolutely. Um, like Claire said, you know, it needs clarity. It needs a real clear, consistent message. Um, you know, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is what we're going to work towards or work with. Um, if you never tell your dog what it can't do, then it's going to keep doing it if it finds it rewarding. You know, a dog is not going to change a behavior if it is able to self-reward or be rewarded by you. For as long as there is reward in some form, it's going to continue doing it. So we've got to make Make sure that our rules and boundaries are in place, but also that our message, our communication to our dog is clear, consistent and fair. I agree 100%. And the thing is, a lot of these times we're working with these dogs and you, you feel bad for the dogs if you think, had this dog been given this message much earlier, this, this wouldn't be a thing. The, the owners have been living in distress for a long time and they they've been told that the dog's behavior is this and it's that it's just innate behavior for the dog it's naturally rewarding the dog gets a kick out of doing it so if you're not doing anything to give that dog an outlet well you're gonna get behaviors you don't want you know if your dog is living in a home that maybe there is no way so if you've got for example you just said the collie sam will, will continue on that vein the collie lives on a farm with a family never going to be a working collie but it's allowed to run around and it has an outlet for things but take that collie put it in a city living in a flat walking around the street on a lead well it's no wonder these dogs go stir crazy no wonder at all these dogs go stir crazy and why you start to see behaviors displayed that seem very inappropriate because that dog isn't cut out for that lifestyle that dog isn't cut out for that kind of life um and so there's going to be a lot of frustration in the dog I think this is what I see a lot of the time it, it gets misconstrued as aggression or misconstrued as other things and a lot of the time what I see is frustration frustration on the part of the dog the dog is frustrated because it just feels like it has no outlet I think what we're sort of like talking about here is that what we are deeming as being bad is actually the dog's instincts but if you think about it for a second the dog absolutely believes what it's doing at that moment is 
absolutely correct and right. And if we put it into human terms, it's the things that we feel inside is, is what we are meant to do in a situation. It's the same for dogs. So for example, if I'm in a situation and I can see somebody bullying somebody else, I have got the instinct within me to say, oh, enough of that. That's not going to happen. I'm not one of those people who can just like walk past. I'm probably the one who steps in when, when maybe I shouldn't because I believe I should protect the other person. I cannot stop that. That happens within me, okay? So the dogs are very much the same, aren't they? They can't just stop it for no reason. They have to have a reason to stop it. Yeah, they do have to have a reason to stop it. And the thing is, this is where professional trainers must help owners and trainers. This is what our job is. You know, I, I said to you earlier, Joe off air, I consider myself to be a coach. My job is to teach the owner how to train their dog effectively and how to give the dog clarity. And sometimes that's frustrating if people have been told by other professional trainers or they've seen it online, you know, that they can't tell the dog no and they can't do this and you must wait for the dog to give you the right behavior and then reward that. Well, how long have you got to wait? You know, the dog's there quite happily self-rewarding. I mean, at what point is the dog gonna like do something else? could be waiting a very very long time it's taken me a very long time I've been doing this professionally for eight years now which is just craziness um when I think about it like eight years doing this full time it's like a dream but it's also soul destroying when you go out to see a dog that you know this is not a bad dog you know this is not a bad dog this is a dog that was bred for a purpose and all of that's been taken away and it's been shoved into a lifestyle that isn't suitable and then on top of that if a professional trainer has given very poor advice to the owner trainer um the dog is full of frustration the dog is bewildered the dog is not in any way satisfied with what's going on so you just want to take that dog and go let's give some clarity now clarity might mean saying no you can't do this but here's what you can do you have to fill that void and it's not rocket science and that's the frustration is this is not rocket science and i don't understand why we're in a day and age and how we got into a situation where common sense got so lost in translation we're working with a different species we have to accept that and understand that dog i'm sorry for the rant there it went <laughs> it was not it was not a rant at all Sam? i think claire's not rant was actually really well worded and was a point that needed to be put across you know it's it's a lot of the problem problems I think are, are that these days so much is available at your fingertips you know you can read so much watch so much listen to so much online and you kind of a lot of people will take it as gospel whereas you need to understand that your dog is unique your situation is unique and you've got to be able to work with the dog in front of you which is why it's often important then to go and find a professional trainer that's within reach of you so that you can can check in and you can have this sort of constant or did you realize you were doing that and did you just notice that from your dog's behavior and it's having that in-person ability that can sort of help you overcome things before they become too much of a problem I think we also need to consider that I, I know obviously I'm going to stick with the collie thing for a bit I met a collie a few weeks ago who I said to them about innate behaviors and about how you know a collie is bred to do a working job role and the reply I I got was well for the last three generations so the dog's parents grandparents and great grandparents none of them had performed a working role and it took me quite a long time to sort of 
explain or get them to understand that actually just because three now four generations of that collie hadn't actually worked doesn't mean that those innate genetic behaviors are going to disappear they're still in there they might not be quite as finessed quite as polished or potentially even quite as driven but those innate genetic behaviors are still going to be in that dog's mind and i think that's often lost in in translation somewhere as well people sort of forget that you know they've got a dog that for the last eight generations maybe it hasn't been worked on the shooting field but it's still got those natural drives and desires if you think about that though like my my gran was uh 90 this week and while we were all sitting on the table she's a wonderful woman bless her and loads of people say god you look like your nan and i'm a granddaughter and meg was there and people like god you look like your mum, and you look like your your great gran now so we're talking four generations over 90 years right um and, and there's still even just facial features we're like mannerisms we're like so if if we haven't removed that over 90 years how are we expecting a dog to potentially have lost it in like seven or eight because four generations in a dog can sometimes be within a decade can't it it's quite easy they breed with it after like 18 months you know it's very difficult of us to expect them to have changed massively in a small amount of generational spaces yeah 100 percent it is and I think sometimes when I speak to the breeder of our dogs they'll, they'll do something and he might say to me oh her great great grand was like that so, you know, I'll say oh Rose did this and he's like oh yeah her great great grand did that sort of thing and I'm like oh really wow that's amazing and it's like dude bless his heart he got the nickname a few years ago um, when he was out picking up he got the nickname double duck dude because when he was on the, the duck drive he would swim and he'd always bring back two ducks he, he was going to conserve energy and then to find out that that's what his granddad had done had been exactly the same you know you just think oh my god that, that's just so amazing they are so amazing and I think it's so sad when as human beings we do such a mis- misjustice that's not the right word an injustice what do I mean Joe? help me with a word I think our, our listeners would have understood both misjustice <laughs> and injustice there. I'm going to leave that out in. I'm not even going to edit it out. Um, no. But, <laughs> I am. I am going to leave it in now. But for, for going forward, we don't want this to be like a, an owner bashing because like we said, most people end up in the situation they didn't need to. It, it is what it is. And you need to work with the dog in front of you. And we can and will help you to put it right. There is no demonising for it. What can a trainer do? How can they approach it? what attitude must they bring to it to shape the dog's behaviour to work with them so for example if you are that person listening in London with a collie on the end of a lead what are some little things that you can do that are just going to make life easier for you bring in those clear consistent boundaries um, you know and, and make it crystal clear to your dog that the those behaviors like claire said not on the table you're just not allowed to do those and so there's going to be some form of fair correction or consequence for displaying those behaviors but then ensure that you give the dog an alternative behavior to do in that place one that you want one that you can effectively reward the dog for and ideally one that has something 
that utilizes those innate behaviors um you know so if they like to chase cats you could whilst telling them cats are off the table don't chase the dogs you could basically say to them um alongside that but you can chase bulls or you can chase frisbees you know we'll we'll play the chase over here just leave the cat out of it so with those rules boundaries giving the dog an outlet for those natural behaviors and also ensuring that what they aren't allowed to do they understand they're not allowed to do so yeah i agree with that i think one of the most important things is find a hobby to do with the dog which is connected in some way to a job role or a sport um so to speak that is going to be a great outlet for that dog's innate behaviors but alongside that set those rules and boundaries teach the dog educate the dog what's on the table what's off the table and as long as you're then doing this other thing whether it be you know agility or gun dog work or whatever you've got to have some sort of thing to do with the dog so that the dog gets that really good outlet but also work with a professional trainer who isn't just going to tell you who, how to distract and manage but one that will tell you how to educate the dog efficiently and with clarity and I think that's really important for the trainer the owner trainer to find a professional trainer who is prepared to do that and work with them um, not just kind of layer distraction on top of distraction and hope for the best absolutely and ladies and gentlemen well mostly ladies because only ladies can join our membership but if you are struggling to find that good trainer you do have access to the hot mess handler it's a, a course that's available to both men and women it's got literally a lifetime access it will help you instill the foundations into any dog to give you some rules and structure and some control and give the dog some self-control you have that available for you you just literally got to go on to google search hot mess handler you'll find the course that's there for you um, and for ladies you've got the membership you've got us you've got the four lwdg group experts who are there to help you all the time so if you live somewhere and you're like well actually i don't have a trainer around me who can do this this and this we have you covered you can come join us and we can help you to move yourself and your dog forward and i think a lot of what we do in the ladies working dog group is help owners move forward as well for owners to learn for owners to build confidence and to, to believe that they can do this in themselves thank you both for another amazing uh podcast episode to to wrap it up there is no bad dog there is no bad trainer there is just a misalignment of communication and we will help you to put that together moving forward until next week have a fab week that's it for today's episode a massive thank you for tuning in don't forget to head over to the lwdg and sign up for our membership Get access to expert-led training, a wonderfully supportive community, and the resources you need to become a confident and skilled gun dog trainer. Let's take this journey together, because no woman should have to train her gun dog alone. We'll see you all next week. Yeah.